welcome to our next episode of Soul Food Podcast. This time we have Louise back for part two. So we finally caught up with her again and got to discuss what we originally had planned to discuss <laughs> with her. A lot about relationships and a lot about self, which you'll be able to listen to now in a moment. So again, thank you so much, Louise. Not just one, but two Zoom calls and two over two hours nearly all together mm-hmm. of our time. Um, and we really do appreciate that. Yep, um, there's loads of layers to this, and it's kind of like I'm go- definitely when I listen to this again, I'm going to be sitting with a pen and paper, and I'll be stopping and going, stopping and going, because there's just so many golden nuggets of information that Louise provides in this podcast. So, again, we just really hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, welcome back, Louise. And firstly, and most importantly, of course, um, maybe give us another example of a coffee you uh, enjoy drinking in your locality okay uh, actually I, can't, I don't know who the brewers were but I just discovered this cafe in Greystones <laughs> bear in mind I lived in Greystones I ha- lived there for a year and a half mm-hmm. and I just discovered it the other day it's not, it's not that big that village so I don't know what I've been doing <laughs> but the cafe is called Rise Up um, nice. so yeah absolute shout out to them I don't know who the brewers are but the coffee was delicious. And it's just right by the colds and Graysons. Yeah. We'll have to it's a very fitting name, isn't it? We'll have to make sure yeah. we, we uh, get down to it at some stage. Yeah, yeah that's lovely. I, I guess I set up for all the folk who go swimming at sunrise. That's not yes. me. <laughs> not yet. And <laughs> so I've discovered it 1.5 years later. <laughs> Normally close by the time you get down, right? Yeah. <laughs> The last time we were talking and we were just starting to touch on the subject of um, toxic masculinity and mm-hmm. you'd said something along the lines of you'd sort of felt sorry for men at the current in the current climate. Can you expand on that idea or maybe first address what toxic max masculinity means to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, just to iterate, I, I don't mean that in it in a patronizing way i mean it in a very sincere way you know i think the the ground has shifted and rightly so but with that it has destroyed what we believed was expected or appropriate for men but we haven't replaced it with anything so we we have we have the ideals that used to be aligned with the culturally imposed roles of men which were you know, men being encouraged to be strong, <laughs> outspoken, even aggressive at times, like accomplished, overall being very demonstrative. That's what we put into the bracket of masculinity. But over the last 10, more so 10 years, we're quite actively dismantling that. Um, and now also saying, well, why can't they be caring? Why can't they be kind? Why can't they be, you know, proponents for intimacy? And Whilst that's accurate, right? Because all of these behaviours, whether they've been aligned to women or to men, they're culturally and socially imposed. So gender should not align to any one or the other. It's culturally imposed. You know, men, and part of masculinity as well, has been men have always had to prove that they're men, right? Mm -hmm. Women have never had to prove that they're women. (laughs) You know, they've never had to woman up. Whereas 
it's there's always an action that's imposed on men in order to prove that you are aligned with this definition of what it is to be a man. And I think that's where it becomes so difficult, particularly when you strip that back and now inject, well, you also need to be caring and you also need to be considerate and you also need to have the culturally imposed roles that women have. And it's, but there's, yeah. Yeah, sorry, just on that, I, and I, I, yeah, I think it's a problem a lot of men kind of are going through at the minute where it's like, that's been the cultural norm for, norm for so long. Mm. It's kind of like, well, what... How are we meant to act, or how? You know, I don't think there's a right answer. You're going to have a, a specific answer, but it's almost like some men are struggling with how should I be acting? Should I still be? Um, if I am tough, is that a bad thing? Is it? Mm. You know, it's, and, and we obviously all have masculine and feminine traits. Yes. Personally, exactly. I feel like I've become happier when I embraced my feminine side mm-hmm. a little bit more. Whereas maybe 10 years ago, growing up in the northwest of Ireland, in rural Donegal, was very much focusing on masculine traits and I thought I had to be that way inclined. And it was through figuring out through a lot of work of my own that when I embraced the feminine, I feel like I've become a better person, become more open and feel a little bit happier. But mm-hmm. for anyone that might be listening and struggling to embrace that feminine mm-hmm. side, and it doesn't mean people often get it mixed mix, mixed up that masculine is man and feminine is woman, whereas we both ah. have both traits. So mm-hmm. how can you sort of maybe explain to someone that might be listening, thinking how do you embrace your feminine side or vice versa, a female that's listening mm-hmm. and, you know, naturally is more masculine or that way inclined? Mm-hmm. Well, bearing in mind what we, what we, how we, how we began talking about this, you know, to have those socially imposed masculine traits or qualities, if they're valued as being the ultimate, then your, it is implicit in that that the opposite is negative. It's implicit in that rule, that socially imposed rule, that being non-aggressive, that being soft, is actually weak. So it's, it's, it's what goes unsaid. It's the dark side of what we believe to be true about masculinity or what we historically have believed to be true. And the only way. The dark side is that the opposite makes you weak and unacceptable. And depending on what we've grown up in, the context in which we've grown up in, the parents that we grew up with, you know, how, how are the males in our lives um, behaved, what we learned from them, that also has a huge bearing on whether we feel safe, um, whether we feel that we have permission even to embrace those sides of ourselves that we all have, every single one of us have them, whether we like it or not, whether we show it or not, or whether we've discovered it or not. We all have those other sides, but some of them are very tightly locked away because they've been perceived as weak and unacceptable. So for somebody to begin, who's maybe come from that background, it's not, it's not, permissible it's not acceptable to show your vulnerability or if somebody who's come from there well you've got to find the key first of all to unlock and understand the fact that to show vulnerability is not a weakness actually so the first thing that has to happen is the dismantling of that belief what does it mean to be vulnerable and why is that actually hugely valuable in your life to embrace 
why is it not the opposite of being strong, of being robust, of being resilient, you know, of being assertive in your life? It's not the opposite. It's an addition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so how do we, it begins with, with dismantling that belief. Those, I always say this, you know, even in my own sessions or talks, can you begin this? Can you begin either engaging with the thing that we're talking about by loosening the lid on what you believe to be true? Let's start there. Right? Because every single one of us have grown up and stitched a pattern and a roadmap as to what it means to be who we are. We have a complete prototype, a blueprint of what it means to be who we are. And in that blueprint, we have ideas about femininity. We have ideas about masculinity, about what it means to be strong and about what it means to be weak. That among multiple other things. And that forms how we see the world. That shapes how we see the world and how we interact with the world. It shapes our view of ourselves. So to begin by loosening the lid about what you believe to be true about what it is to be a man, first and foremost, loosen the lid on what you believe to be true about what it is to be a woman. Loosen the lid on that and see how we can start blending those qualities and characteristics and how doing that doesn't make you less of anything. It makes you more. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Uh, I think when you fight against that, you're fighting against maybe your own natural way of being, um, which like I kind of said earlier, but I suppose in terms of like masculine and feminine for someone that knows the terms, but doesn't really understand it. What would te- what would normally be masculine traits and what would be feminine traits? Well, historically, you know, women have always been aligned with the soft, caring traits, the gentle, the empathy, you know, the insight, the vulnerability, the intimacy, the one who would self-sacrifice, right? That's also the, the toxic side of femininity that you're expected to self-sacrifice you know that not selfish the opposite always giving mm-hmm. <laughs> you know those are those are the roles of the feminine um and i mean i could go into the other cultural aspects of that which is the expectations also put on women to be this that or the other and the how society can come down on women if they're anything but those things you know then suddenly that woman is very difficult you know or that woman has a lot to say for herself doesn't she Right? as she speaks up and because she sets boundaries you know there's the opposite you know, when you move out of that again that defined that socially defined role into the other it can be a, a place full of trepidation it can be a tricky place to stand because we're, we like humans like putting things into boxes <laughs> it makes us it makes it easier for us to understand things mm-hmm. it makes us easier for us to interact with other people when we know what to expect that's why we have labels. That's why we define things as certain ways. It helps us. It makes us actually feel safe. And honestly, the rise of toxic masculinity is because it makes people feel safe, the ones who are part of it. Because if you're lost in a landscape where suddenly masculinity as you knew it is being dismantled, you don't know what to do next. You don't know how to behave. And then suddenly this dude appears, whether it's Goggins or Trump or whoever it might be, and tells you exactly how you need to behave. Right? and that you're this and you're that and this is what you can expect and it's binary and it's good and this is bad that feels good mm-hmm. because you've been given really clear ways to behave in order to be a man and that, that I mean kids need boundaries to feel safe they need to feel resistance they need to feel limitations that makes them feel safe 
we're really hugely not massively different as adults. Give us certainty and it makes us feel safe. That's why in times of need or stress, we start to become a little bit more certain actually about what we're saying. Again, because it makes us feel safe. We, we struggle when there's ambiguity. We struggle when there's ill-defined boundaries on who we're, or what we're supposed to be. If um, we're yeah. starting to deconstruct and start to strip away the layers, what you kind of said at the start of the podcast, what systems are in place to replace that? Because I can imagine mm. people are going to become a little bit undone and there's yeah. going to be a lot of question around who they are and what they are. So what yeah. systems do you start to put into place to replace those ones that you're stripping away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really, a really good question. Um, and I do think it is the, the biggest problem that we face at the moment is that we've torn down the structures and we've, again, put nothing in its place. So... But stripping it back to basics, right? What is it that we all want? We all need and want to feel belonging. We all need and want to feel like we have a purpose, that we have a role and that we're respected. Now, different people will have different values. That's fine. Some people will value being physically strong. Some people will value being very interpersonally skilled. So there there isn't a one size fits all. But I think this is, you know, we've broken something open. So anything is up for grabs. That's the upside. And I think having a mode or a means where we can connect on that, where it's actually a safer place to talk about these things, to explore yourself. I mean, explore yourself individually, but also explore yourself in a group. But if it's individually, figure out what you care about. What do you give a shit about? And I, I, I really genuinely mean that. If, we, if you can't figure out what you care about, what do you want to stand for? You know, what is being physically strong important to you? Great. Knock yourself out, regardless of gender. It doesn't matter, you know. But is intimacy also really important to you, regardless of gender? Brilliant. Then start making inroads into how you could be more open, more emotionally open and connected. How do you listen to other people more in a way that brings you closer to them? So first and foremost, it starts out with figure out what you care about. What do you want to be? How do you want to interact with the world? Because you get to choose that. And here's the power, whether whatever gender or non-gender you are, right? Here's the power. You get to choose. You get to choose. You get to decide what you are. You get to decide what you stand for and how you stand for it. But you've got to do it first by deciding what you care about. What are your values? I still refine my values all the time. I, I honestly think about it maybe once a day. I think about what, 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 what again do I care about? And it helps me make a choice in a day. Okay, am I going to do this thing or am I going to do that thing? Well, humor and humility are two of my favorite top values at the moment. And, and they've, they've served me well, particularly since I've defined them over the last year. They've served me well. Humor. Okay, I'm going to choose the route that's going to bring light into my life rather than the one that's going to maybe pull me down a bit more. You know, and, and honestly, it works out every time. If I'm taking action based on what is important to me, what matters to me as a female, but as somebody also who embodies masculine traits, like I called a man all of the time because of my traits, because of what I, you know, I'm very ballsy and very, and those are traits typically aligned with masculinity. 
you know, it's funny how that crosses over, but I love that, you know, and I embrace that. So again, it's, it's yes, the boundaries have been taken down by society, but we can also do it for ourselves. Yeah. Do you think it's tough? Oh, um, from uh, speaking to you and how you speak, you're obviously very, or not obviously, but it seems like you're very confident within yourself. And maybe someone listening that is not as, as confident with themselves, would you have any sort of example of an exercise like you were talking about to create your values or to define your values? Have you an example maybe practically yeah. that someone could do to both boost their confidence within themselves and mm-hmm. understand what their actual values are? Well, I, I was not always this way, firstly. First and foremost, in fact, I I was one of the biggest self-sacrificing people that you'd have come across. So much so that I hadn't a clue who I was. Really, I hadn't a clue. I was whatever you wanted me to be, <laughs> and I don't I don't mean that salaciously. I I genuinely, you know, I would. There's there's a there's a a phrase in child psychology that we use, and um, particularly around attachment. And it's called the externally assembled self. And what that essentially means is that you're made up in behaviors and ways of being according to what you think others want of you in whatever situation that you're in. Mm-hmm. And that was me for a huge amount of my childhood, teenagehood. That's, that's <laughs> in, a tough one because I guess what that essentially means is everybody sort of wants us, you want to be liked nearly it or was as, uh, it was also a protection against yeah. mm-hmm. losing being people. threatened yes being threatened or avoiding conflict or making sure everyone else was happy for fear that something would absolutely go to shit if they weren't relate to that as well mm-hmm. yeah 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 definitely and and i think when you and when i got to the point of really low a really low mood and i hit a wall and I didn't know why I hit the wall, but I hit the wall because there was nothing inside. Because it was just this externally assembled self. I had heart, I have soul, I had all of those things, but I had no sense of how they were arranged in my own honor. And that was devastating. And it was a real breakdown. It was a real wall hitting time and phase in my life. So in answer to your question around the rebuild was very raw, very slow. I don't expect it to happen overnight. Okay. When you say slow, like if someone is in the middle of a rebuild from anything at the moment, mm. are you talking months, years? I guess it's going to be down to the individual, it's their whole life. depending on, on how, how broken they are or... Yeah. Yeah, it's your whole life. Though. Though. It, it, yeah. You know, it's a, your whole life is your project. Mm-hmm. Your entire life. There's no end point in terms of your development, in terms of figuring out and understanding yourself more. When I got to the point of maybe where something clicked and it was like a veil was lifted, I would two years. Two years. But that's not to say that every single day, week, month, I didn't feel something shift. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel something move. I did. But what I'm talking about is two years was the unlocking. It was the unlocking that, ah. 
I see. <laughs> that, this is kind of this is uh, sparking something I mean that you were talking about, um, when we want to like start to maybe reconstruct ourselves. First of all, there has to be an an awareness point. Yeah. It has to be brought to the fore. So, um, whether that's through something traumatic happening or getting to the point what you had said there yeah. of, of just hitting rock bottom, hitting rock bottom, um. Where am I going with this? I guess I'm going with some people may not want to become aware of these things because mm-hmm. they're so scared of the unraveling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's very true. So for you, do you could you feel that you were going getting lower and lower until you hit rock bottom? Were you avoiding it? Mm-hmm. Or how did it happen? Like how did you get to that point without kind of were you blindsiding yourself? How did you get that far without being aware, I suppose? I had a really toxic relationship that ended really badly. And the ways in which it devastated me was enough to actually alert something in my own mind that something was amiss here and not with the relationship, but with me. And the relationship was incredibly toxic the person was incredibly toxic and it began my journey in speaking about narcissism actually. But regardless of that, it still brought my attention onto me. When something like that happens, I can imagine, you know, like how devastating that is. And as you said, it, it was devastating. So when someone gets knocked so badly and something like that happens and you're given that information of, of what you were given did you initially decide okay i'm going to work on me now or did you hibernate or how did you survive that initial shock of not being louise do you mean post relationship or just generally when you got to that rock bottom point like yeah how, like because i'm sure it took you a couple of weeks or months maybe to, to come out of that rock bottom yes okay so here's my third value which is curiosity that is what kept me pedaling because above all i wanted to figure out what the hell was going on <laughs> what the hell is leading me to make the choices that i make because i make choices and i made choices and you i could look back and see at that point i made a choice at that point i made a choice at that point i made a choice i'm doing that <laughs> regardless of this other person regardless of how horrendous this other person may or may not have been, Mm -hmm. I'm making choices. I have power here. Why am I using it in this way? So that was enough. And that combined with my value of curiosity took me on the journey. That's why I, I I mean, curiosity, I just, I, I honestly think it is one of the holy grails of living. Stay curious about everything. It will keep you moving and it'll keep you moving through hell when you're in it. Is that, was this pre or post becoming a psychologist that you had that experience or did it lead you into that line of work? My journey into where I am now with psychology was not linear. So I did all the study, you know, I trained and then I moved away from it mm-hmm. and I moved right into music. I have a, quite a colorful path <laughs> right mm-hmm. into music. Then I moved into uh, cor- criminal 
work actually i used to work in the criminal courts i moved out of that and then i moved into aviation <laughs> and then i moved into composing and then i came all the way back into psychology there's lots of other things in between but those were the touch points curious slash lost slash curious no no i always call it curious <laughs> other people would call it lost i don't i absolutely don't <laughs> when you were moving from all those places and jobs and things were you conscious of who you were or were you trying to find out who you were what was, was what was the driver 100 percent trying to find out mm -hmm. but 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 i'm all of those things that's the beautiful bloody answer at the end of it is i'm all of those things you know and i'm very resistant to aligning just with one thing over the other in terms of what i am and what i'm capable of the values keep me keep me grounded and keep me centered to enable myself to move into multiple different areas so there is a consistent how, yeah. sorry do you mind me asking how many values you have and would you, three and would you suggest people <laughs> to have three or would the, would you put a number on it this is where it gets a little bit tricky right because if, if i was to give you a sheet of 100 values like there and there can be a hundred values adventure physical strength loyalty caring you're going to look down at a first blush you're going to look down through all of them and think i'm all of those things are cool i i don't know what <laughs> i am i hell am i going to whittle it down to three or five or seven even and this is this is why time is is part of this value seeking exercise because you could pick out okay well i'll pick adventurous and freedom maybe i'll pick that um and then i'll pick caring loyal and so okay that seems like good ones but sit with them and then two days later three days later a week or a month later you'll think i don't know if that's actually my guiding star for how i want to be in life maybe my guiding star is more around uh, i said adventure but you know maybe my guiding star is more around um can't think of any other values right now. There's a hundred of them. You yeah. should think of one. There's a hundred of them. Humor. The of them. Humor. Humor. Maybe that is more prevalent in my life. Maybe that's more. Pre maybe that brings me more of a visceral reaction when I engage with humor than something like being caring, for example. Not that you're not. And by the way, it's not that you're not caring when you eliminate that value from your top list. It's not that you don't value that in general. But it's these think of them as your guiding stars, your north stars. What's gonna what's gonna bring the most vitality and joy and energy in your body and in your life when you bring them forward? Okay, humility is one of mine, which doesn't sound anything to do with energy, but it's a huge guide for me in my work and in my personal life. It's huge. How important is it uh, you hear it a lot um in relationships and to be like you know relationships that didn't work and say oh we didn't have the same values yeah. how important is it if you're selecting trying to select a romantic partner <laughs> selecting, selecting swiping <laughs> left right if you're trying to find a romantic partner you've been chosen <laughs> from cheese from the cheesemongers yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they have similar values to you do they do they even have to have similar values to you because there is so many and if you're yeah. picking your three as your North Star, does it necessarily mean that their three have to be the same North Star as yours? It doesn't. No, they don't have to be the exact same. But but there can be a clash of certain combinations and that can make it difficult. 
it can make it more difficult or something like that exactly yeah. so so maybe somebody is is upset and really aligned with adventure and the other person is really aligned with safety and security and stability yeah. right then mm, you're not gonna gonna want to go on that hike in south america next year like your partner does you know you're gonna be thinking about the money and you're going to be thinking about actually what we need to save for the future so mm-hmm. those can, things could clash it doesn't make it impossible and actually sometimes opposing values can be very steadying in a relationship because it means both partners have caught sight of what can go wrong on each side mm-hmm. right? so you're looking at the opposite value and you're thinking hang on you know and you're sort of pulling the other back and vice versa and you might meet in a beautiful harmony in the middle might not right (laughs) but you might Mm -hmm. so it can actually work as well now there are other combinations that will clash and it will make it more difficult it's not impossible but you know people maybe family planning for example somebody again who's might be more around adventure and freedom that might clash with somebody who is very family oriented and again really wanting to be sort of family and and stay at home and just keep it steady and calm right those could be those could clash yeah, in your selection. I, I, yeah, well, I've actually never, I've never selected. Oh, sorry, uh, you never selected him. <laughs> <laughs> no values for myself. I'm definitely going to do that exercise um, this yeah. week at some stage yeah. and have a real think. Uh, I think I've thought about these things, but never really mm. sat down with specific values and um, in my head or on paper. Which I'll definitely practice that in the next week or so and i would suggest yeah. anyone listening to try and do the same and yes. see where it takes you um, and but, live with them live yeah. with them over time because they will change and then they'll click in and it'll feel good and it'll feel right and i can't tell you how much it will influence your choices in life for the better mm-hmm. and don't be afraid of change i think like i, I don't know if you like if some people be taking a hand of you sometimes and be like oh you've changed or like as if it's an insult, but I take that maybe yeah. as a compliment. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I have changed in the last 10 years. I'm a very different person. And yeah. like, I hope so, is my yeah, answer. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I don't want to be changed. the same person as I was mm. when I was 17, 18. Like, you know, but, yeah. um, but just in terms of relationships, seeing as we kind of started talking about that um, and healthy relationships, and we've kind of touched on little parts of healthy relationships and toxic relationships more specifically on toxic relationships seeing as we've kind of um you've mentioned it a couple of times what would be traits do you think of toxic relationships or something that you've experienced or, or from a professional point of view as well well again it, it ranges and there's a spectrum of unhealthy behaviors you know and, and a relationship becomes untenable when the impact is actually destabilizing or it becomes debilitating or it becomes such an influence that it's preventing you from engaging in what you normally would you know that's when you need to start thinking okay this is this is not this is actually a problem now you know there's a there's a huge red flag waving and in fact it's wrapped around me like a scarf right so that's when you have to start paying attention now nobody's perfect right so everybody's coming from their own backgrounds and i think what i often see because the word narcissism has just exploded you know over the last couple of years particularly and so it's been kind of flung around left, right and center. But there's a difference between emotional immaturity and narcissism. They're very different things. And if you're in a relationship where there's behaviors panning out that are rooted in emotional immaturity or fear or anxiety, it's a very different thing. And I think 
you know, that's something that can be worked on together if there's emotional intimacy and openness and honesty and sincerity and authenticity. If those things are missing and somebody's been driven by the need to succeed, the need to win all the time, the resistance against listening to the other person and their point of view, and that's what you're meeting relentlessly in the other person, then you've got a problem. You know, then everything that you are and want to be and show up within the relationship is just getting nullified and pushed back and you're losing confidence day by day by day and the alarms are ringing. So it is a spectrum. And, you know, the the deeper the unhealthy behaviours, the greater the impact naturally. But unhealthy behaviours are also natural to some extent in relationships. You've got two people with their whole histories coming together trying to figure it out. That's not going to go completely smoothly. And if there's no fights at all whatsoever, then it's not going completely smoothly. right? Because somebody, one or both, are pushing their needs down. And that's a guarantee. So conflict is good. Ruptures are important. It helps us understand each other. And it also helps us to come back stronger because we have a deeper sense of what it is to be in relationship with this person. I would nearly disagree to some extent there in terms of not having conflict. Well, I'm in a relationship now nearly a year. We're and... together much longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> not me, it, sorry. Um, and we almost joke that we haven't had a, a real proper row or argument at any stage yet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You're a year in, did you say? Nearly a year, yeah. Yeah, now we've that's had okay. like it'll, it'll come. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's almost yeah. like, a, you, is this going to happen? Something? This is a, like an ongoing joke now. That she's oh. also incredibly chill. She's very chill. Yeah, yeah. and so are right. you. In fairness, okay. yeah. yeah, so yeah. definitely yeah. It helps. But and you're sort of really good at communicating. In fairness, uh, from what I can see as an outsider. Yeah, I think yeah. that's one of. The, I think actually one when I probably one of my key values would be communication. I don't know if that is yeah. a value, but just be yeah, really yeah. clear and. I'm lucky that in the relationship I'm in, Triona's the exact same, that she's, you know, if something's slightly annoying, it's just said as opposed to sat on. Okay, well, that's that's an important point, right? So the rupture doesn't have to be an explosive rupture. The rupture can be, "Mm, I don't know, I don't agree with that. And and actually, let's talk that through. That's Mm -hmm. that's what that's the essence. You're not going to agree on everything. And it would be I mean, it would be unusual. I guess it's not impossible and maybe you are the example to agree on everything and that everything is fine. No, we don't agree on everything, but we never argue or fall out over anything at the same time. Yes. Yes. You know, it's, I I mean, I was going to say, I'd love to talk about that more, but that's not what we're here to do. But I, but I, I do, you know, I think it's interesting. Outside of, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's interesting. I think it's brilliant. In many ways, but it's also, you know, when people argue, it can be because something in the background is being triggered is because somebody is suddenly thinking, oh, Jesus, am I being rejected for this? Am I being judged for this view that I have? And then that blows up. And that's actually what you're fighting about. It's not the dishes, right? Or it's not the, and and that's, that's where ruptures and repairs can be extremely valuable because you're understanding actually that you're accepted just for who you are. So now perhaps that isn't lurking in the background for you or for your partner or both of you. And so actually when you meet each other, you're meeting each other fully and wholly as you exactly are. And you're communicating about that. But I mean, that's the goal. (laughs) That's the goal for most people, you know, so it's not to say that it's abnormal 
not to have arguments, but it does become abnormal when somebody is suppressing their needs so as not to have arguments. Yeah, I think there's also one key factor that neither was drink, alcohol. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that when I look back at previous relationships, I had almost alcohol is always in the middle of the mm. big arguments or in some way. Now, obviously, mm. it's is that because other factors, is that because I'll, when you're drinking alcohol, it, you'll bring more things to the fore. I think so. Yeah, or maybe like causes. I don't know if that's a thing that would be well, common in relationships. Good that point. Come from alcohol or not? T- true. But there's two ways of looking at it. I think your point was well made. Does it bring more things to the fore? Mm-hmm. Not that it's an elixir for, you know, I mean, obviously advise that people do it, but sometimes it can bring more issues to the fore. So you become more courageous at saying, actually, you know what? This is really pissing me off. Mm-hmm. And it has been for months. <laughs> so now I'm going to say it. Yeah. But now I've waited so long that I'm saying it in a really aggressive <laughs> way. And now it's just all kicked off. Right? So it can be that, but it can also be now that I'm drinking, the view that I have on what you just did is magnified. Mm-hmm. And through this magnifying glass, I think now that you're actually quite a dick, right? Yeah. Whereas I wouldn't think that if I wasn't drinking. So there's there's two ways of looking at that. Both are valid. If you're in a situation where um, you were saying there, you know, you're wrapped in a blanket of red flags and sometimes you know you're in that situation, um, and that you're in a relationship that's not healthy and and has toxic traits in it. I've been in one. It's not the easiest thing in the world to walk away from or to get out of. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone is in a similar situation and they, and they know there's red flags there but they don't have the courage built up to kind of do anything about it. Um, what would be your advice? Get curious about where you're paying your attention. When people are in toxic relationships, they might find that the predominant amount of their attention is on the other person. It's on the other person about what they're going to do next, what they did in the past, what they're doing right now. What does it look like? What's their mood? How do they behave when you walk into the room? How do they behave when they leave the room? You're being completely vigilant about them. So all of your attention is on them. So much so that you begin to lose yourself. So that's one of the core aspects of a toxic relationship is that you lose touch with reality, actually. That's probably the point that I'm trying to get across is when you do get to that stage where you're losing yourself and questioning your reality and questioning is this really mm. happening how do you get out of that that's, that's mm. not an easy place to get out of because you are questioning things and yeah. more than likely questioning yourself yes well your quest but you remember you're questioning yourself in relation to this person and their behaviors so what are you doing that's triggering it what are you doing that's influencing what did you just say that resulted in them saying that is it your fault is it because so every, everything that you're looking at about yourself is through the lens of how it's impacting them. Okay, so coming out of that, the first step every single time is take your attention back to yourself. How are you feeling right now? Forget about them. How are you feeling right now? Where is the fear in your belly? Where is the pain in your body? Why is your throat constricted? If there was no limits on what you had to say, what would you say? Start 
paying attention to you. That is the very first step. Bring your attention back. Every time your attention drifts onto them, what they're doing, what they're going to say, how they're going to react to you, come back to you. Get really grounded in your body. Really, we lose connection with our bodies when we're in unhealthy, toxic relationships. It's like we almost evaporate. Come back to you. Get grounded. First and foremost, every time. Red flags. I was um, overriding them and... Mm -hmm. My gut was saying one thing and my head was saying the other thing. So my gut was saying this is bad, but my head was saying, no, this might get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, or I really lost trust with myself, I guess. And it took me, still am quite working on it, it, it mm-hmm. to start paying attention to what my, what my gut and core is saying again. Because in the past, now I've realized that, you know, my head overread it a little bit. Um, so building that trust up with myself again has been a very important relationship for me yeah yeah, I love that um, and I bet so many people can resonate with that because when you override and override and override what your body's telling you it keeps the status quo it keeps things balanced even in the chaos it keeps it balanced, which feels safer than to blow it all up. But when you do, or when it does get blown up and you come out of it, it's with such an intense sadness that you look at how you overrode your gut instinct. And then you're dealing with sadness on top of disbelief as to why you did that, right? And here's where we come right back around to the thing I said earlier, which was getting to know what about you leads you to make the choices that you make, because that was also a choice. But take comfort in the fact that your gut knows better. Right? Your gut will always lead you in the right direction. That's what's so bloody beautiful about it. You know, the body keeps the score. There's so many books dedicated to the truth that the body professes. You know, and it's that self, you know, maybe I said this previously, but the John O'Donoghue quote, like, there's a place within us that's never been wounded. And I always come back to that. And you know that. And I know, and I I love to bring people there in their own selves to the place that's never been wounded within them. Because that's the place that's behind the thoughts. That's the place that's at the core, beneath the feelings. It's the biggest, most profound parts of who you are. It's, it's your core knowing, <laughs> right? So when you talk about the gut, that connection to, there's a knowing there. No matter what's going on, no matter what your mind is telling you, there's a knowing in you. There's a knowing. You always have that. Nobody can take that away from you. So going through shit and coming out of it the other side and learning why you made choices to stay is so important. But Yes, you'll feel disappointed that you did it, but feel proud that you have a gut that knew the truth and that knows the truth and will continue to know the truth and know that you can put your trust in that and take comfort from that. Quite powerful, yeah. I think it's easy to ignore your gut sometimes. Not easy, but yeah, sometimes you just you convince yourself that your head's actually right. 
Yeah, I think um, what the, the one of the things that convinced me to stay was that I was madly in love. And I think mm-hmm. that love was one of my, probably one of my core values as well. <clears throat> I think my friends <laughs> think I'm loopy because I would tell them a lot that I love them. And mm-hmm. my family would get it a lot as well. And I think that was probably what convinced me to stay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so much was I was in love with this person. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. almost like a mask. Do you think sometimes love? I think that we want something so much sometimes that we miss the fact that it's not it. Mm. Would you agree have... with the statement that love is a choice? I think love is work. And we make a choice to work at love. But love is. I don't think that we can choose to love somebody that we're not in love with. Can you choose not to love someone that you are in love with? I think we can choose to pay attention to our triggers and we can choose to pay attention to how we get derailed. That leads us away from love. How do you mean by that? So if we fear intimacy, right, if we fear enmeshment because of what we've experienced, we fear that intimacy is going to make us lose ourselves. And that was something I even personally had to deal with was when I finally extracted myself out of feeling like I had to be something to other people in relationship. I actually then feared getting into relationship because I had spent so many years of my life completely losing and self-abandoning myself when I was in that relationship or any relationship in fact. And so I became really resistant to getting into any of them. So there's my trigger right? in that period of time was I'm not going to love you because I'm no, you're going to swallow me whole. Mm-hmm. So there's my there's my adaptive, my my coping mechanism to hold on to myself prevented me from being able to love properly. I'm not saying that in that instance it was right or wrong, but it was a definite obstacle. So that's what I mean about that. So my my choice, perhaps not to break that open and tackle that. That was a choice. But it's not a choice not to love, per se. I have a tough question for you to answer. What is love? You know, I think it's I feel it can't be defined in words in a way that does it justice. Because it's so all encompassing in the most beautiful of ways and in the most freeing of ways. <laughs> Love is profoundly freeing for me. It's like a release. And it's like everything that you've that you strive for or want to become, you already are. I think it probably feels different for different people, but I think for me, I would describe it as that total acceptance and freedom. Louise, it's been absolutely incredible chatting with you. 
Mm-hmm. I've taken so much away from this and I can't wait to listen back to the two episodes that we've had with you. Um, we'd yeah. just really like to say thanks for your time. Um, you've definitely touched a couple of the points there that I think we're all going to go away with and, and ponder about. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a think about my three five years <laughs> <of life. laughs> and think about so much else and I'm going to spread the love. Spread the love with your selections. Yes, (laughs) with your swiping. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. It was actually such a pleasure to chat to you both. Well, we hope you enjoyed that episode as much as we did, and the two episodes of Louise. Um, Serious food for thought there so much to take in you have so many values now to figure out in the next week don't you i know i'm really looking forward to doing that this weekend actually is sitting with a cup of coffee and try look at through them 100 value yeah. list yeah. and pick out three that really mean a lot to me um, i'm going to be in your top one right yeah value one in his value 100 <laughs> percent. yeah uh so i yeah i really do hope people um, try that for themselves it's going to be a tough exercise so yeah mm. enjoy doing that get stuck yeah maybe do it. it with someone else as well and again like the way we do hold each other accountable and ask questions about it but you're gonna say hold each other <laughs> we'll do that stop. too <laughs> yeah deadpan um again if, yep. thank you to louise so much for your time uh, and we really do appreciate that if you would like to buy Stephen or myself a cup of coffee have a link in our instagram which is called buy me a coffee and it, all the money just goes back into the podcast to support the podcast um so the money's just resting in our account <laughs> <laughs> you'll find the link for that in our description of the podcast as well along with a link for coldtober which is well and truly finished now but they're still taking donations um, and we are finished that we are still dipping occasionally mm-hmm. now that we're in november it's a little bit colder um, but if anyone ever does want a little bit of a dip whether you're in Vienna or in Donegal let us know and again thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed peace and love, love.